8 and 9 speaks about a excuse me speaks about a curse first and then he speaks about a blessing and we use some cross references that let us understand that you have to know what you're being restored to in order for restoration to be true restoration you have to know what you're being restored to in order to turn from that thing that is ravaging your life you have to know what you're being restored to in order for true restoration to happen. Now, I explain that in the sense that true confession, we looked at that. Agreeing with God about your sin brings about true repentance. And true repentance is what? Turning 180 degrees away from whatever that thing is. But guess what else that means? You've got to turn towards something. Because if you don't know what you're being restored to, you end up turning, turning. And turning so many times that it adds up to 360 degrees, and guess what? You're right back where you started. So you have to have a good picture of what you're being restored to, which is what? The measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Jesus Christ. Amen? We saw that in the prodigal son. This man was in the trench with the pigs, and at some point he had to call to mind the blessing and the curse. He had to get up out of that and walk towards something. You know where he walked? He walked back home because he understood the blessing. He understood what he was returning to. Do we understand what we're returning to, what we're being restored to? We're being restored to the fullness of Jesus Christ. So today that brings us up to, to Nehemiah 1, 10 and 11. And we're coming to the conclusion of Nehemiah's prayer. And at the beginning of this thing, I gave you guys that acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S, which basically stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. When it comes to prayer, if you don't really know where to start, if you don't have a structure, just start with that. Not that that's the way you're supposed to pray, but if you lift all of those things up, what's underneath them, uh, the basis of all four of those is the fear of God. I'll tell you that right now. But it's a good place to start if you don't really know how to jump into uh, approaching the throne. You approach first with adoration, and then you get your stuff off the table. Then you thank God, and then you make your requests known, right? So we looked at adoration. We looked at confession. We picked those things apart, and I would go as far as to say that in the blessing and in the curse, there's a, there's a great deal of thanksgiving in that. Why? Because the Lord never moves from his promise. He never moves from what he wrote, uh, allowed to come through men onto paper from Genesis to Revelation. He never moves from that. There's a, there's a bit of thanksgiving in the fact that, you know what, God, thank you for being faithful to your word even when I'm not faithful to it. Does it make sense? Are you guys with me on that? There's, there's, a, there's an aspect of that. And now, now, after, we've, after Nehemiah has gone through all of that, He's now ready to ask the Lord for something. So adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Now he's about to jump into supplication. Now he's about to make his request known. But he's not about to make his request known simply because he wants to uh, check it off the list. Okay, I adored him. Okay, I confessed. Okay, I gave my thanksgiving. Now I can do what I need to do. That's not it. He says now... He's going to make his request known because he's trying to exercise and land on two things. And I believe that we're going to see these two things in verses 10 and 11. 
microcosm of verse 10 and 11. But what I also believe is that we're going to see these two things. We do see these two things in the entire prayer of Nehemiah. Exercising and landing on origin, where do you come from? And exercising and landing on order. Order is huge. It's a big one. Origin and order. Now, the definition of origin is the point or place where something begins or is derived. But before I make this, uh, this statement that's going to drive this whole thing, let me, let me just let me say this. If not knowing what you're being restored to is unhealthy, okay, we understand that. But knowing what we are being restored to, the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Jesus Christ, okay, we have that. I'm going to say this, that knowing where you've come from and knowing who you've come from gives clarity in where you're going. Not only that, but it tells you how to get there. If you know where you've come from and who you've come from, it gives clarity not only in the journey excuse me, the end destination, where you're going, the end result. But it also will give you the means by which to get to that place. You guys trucking with me on that? Okay. Now I'm going to explain it. We're going we're gonna to see how origin and order is brought out of Nehemiah 10 and 11. But I want us to understand that statement. See, those verses speak to us about those two things, origin and in order. So let's let's read this right quick. In verse 10 it says, "They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand." O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight excuse me, to revere in your name. And make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Now, speaking of origin and order, I'm going to switch the word just a little bit. This, this is one of those um, calling an audible type things here. I think he speaks more so to origin before order. Not in conjunction, but one before the other. Origin before order. And let's get that verse back up there. Let's keep that up there for a little while. Uh, if we see, he uses you or your five times in that first sentence. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. See, it's by the evidence of the power of God in our lives, him working in and through us, that shows that we are his. It's the evidence of that. Now, how can I better explain that? I can only better explain it from the eyes in which I look. <laughs> Construction manager. <laughs> you guys are going to be getting a lot of that. But let's just say somebody asked me to go remodel their bathroom. That's not my home. But I go into that home, tear everything out, 
and then all of a sudden things start to look like a newly renovated bathroom. Well, in the process of all of that, because I put my hands to work in that person's home, at the end of that project, nobody else can say that they did that work but me. It's simply the work of my hands. It's very simple, very simple analogy. Another contractor can't come in and claim the fact that he did that because he didn't do it. <laughs> he just didn't. Square construction, Alex Square, you know, I'm basically liable if anything goes wrong, okay? They come after me. But here's what I'm saying. The evidence of the power of God working in your life, his hands on you, he's saying, you know what, this one's mine. You're mine because I'm working in your life. I'm, I'm trying to communicate to you by what I'm bringing you through and the circumstances that you're in and how I brought you on the other side of those time and time again that you're mine. So what's Nehemiah referring to? He's referring to the people being brought out of exile, the Jews being brought out of, ex brought out of exile. What he's doing is he's going back to understanding that when they got brought out, it was only because of God. And when they got redeemed, it was only because of God himself. And it was he was redeemed. They were redeemed, excuse me, by your great power and your strong hands. See, there's nothing in your life that has ever happened or will happen that you can accomplish without his power. If you start there, if your thoughts originate there, derived from that, the rest of your life will be, I don't want to say easier, but it'll be exactly what the Lord wants it to be. Does that make sense? He starts with origin. He starts with origin not only in this verse, but he does that in the beginning of the entire prayer. Lord, I beseech you. He's, he's saying, you know what, I need your ear, excuse me, I need you to urgently and fervently do something. He goes on through the prayer and says, I need your gaze, I need your attention. And then let me speak back to you who you are. And let me look at things through the promise and not the rubble. I'm going to start with that. My origin, I'm going to start with your promise. You guys catch me on that? Now, what happens when we sideline that power? Sometimes we sideline that power and we don't even know it. Now, I'm going to ask the Lord to <laughs> help me out with this explanation. Because, again, you know, you're driving and something just hits you. You're in the shower, something just hits you. Um, this was on the way over here. And this just kind of hit me. Um, there's, there's a time in... Me taking over, transition with this leadership. There's times when I've said to my leadership, you know what we need to do? We need to uh, have an end goal in mind, a picture of what we want something to look like. Why? Because that will start us off in the right place. If we know where we're going, then we know where to start in order to get there. See, that principle in and of itself is not a bad principle. But where it becomes unhealthy is if I don't know the origin or where or who I've come from. And I'll, and I'll explain it like this. 
that if what the Lord is saying through Nehemiah in verse 10 is that it all happens through him, if I don't have a healthy understanding of that, then the goal that I set for myself that I'm trying to get to, the thing that I'm trying to end at, is something that I believe that I can accomplish within my character. See, I don't even set a healthy end goal. And then what I do is I sideline the power of God saying, look, this end goal, I may, I may consciously know that I'm saying this or not, but this end goal, I can accomplish that on my own. When I don't have a healthy view of where I come from, the origin, the fact that I can't do it without him, if I don't begin with that, then my end goal is what? Comfortable. I'm going to say this to you. If your vision doesn't scare the crap out of you, <laughs> then... Maybe we don't have a healthy understanding of where we come from. Because if you can't do it in the beginning, that characteristic should show itself in the end goal. So the analogy in and of itself of setting an end goal and starting yourself in concordance to where you want to be, that's not bad. But what I'm saying is where you start yourself is huge. It's bigger than I think we give thought to. So... Does that make sense? You guys trucking with me on that? If I have an unhealthy view of my origin, then my end goal is comfortable. It's my character versus Christ's character. But if you start knowing you can't, if you start with knowing that you can't survive without him, then the end goal should be of the same nature. Then we move on to verse 11. And how does this stuff connect? See, we see Nehemiah exercise order here because he understands what he's about to walk into, honestly. And it's, a, it's an earthly authority. I'm going to use that word, an earthly authority that he's about to um, encounter, and that's the king. See, in order for us to understand the situation that he's about to encounter, we have to understand what it was like to be in the presence of an earthly authority, an earthly king back in the day. Now, he's a cupbearer, right? Now, a cupbearer, that's a very prestigious role. means that he has to make sure that there is nothing wrong with any food or drink uh, that is being presented to the king. That's a very high-stress job. Every time you eat or drink, you're basically saying, all right, you know what, family, love you, see you later. Say hi to the dog. You can give all of my chariots to my son, whatever. Every single time he puts something in his mouth, he's ready to die. <laughs> Think about that. Because that's the position of a cupbearer. But the other side of it is that when you walk into a presence of a king back in that day, you could look at the king wrong. And if he didn't like that, you're gone. If you walked in there with a bad attitude and it wasn't uh, the same as his attitude, he could just say, you know what, I don't like that person, you're gone. And when I say you're gone, I'm meaning you're dead. You're not just kind of like moved out of the room. This boy would just kill you right off the top. Back then, they understood earthly authority and they gave that king that authority. So Nehemiah knew what he was about to walk into. But what we see from verse 5 all the way to now, is that Nehemiah spent all his time 
understanding where he came from, okay, and approaching heavenly authority first. Approaching the throne first. And what that did is that gave him a healthy view and a healthy understanding, not only of what he was about to walk into, but how to walk into it. Does that make sense? If you don't know where you've come from or who you've come from, let me say this, knowing where you've come from, let me switch it, gives clear definition to not only knowing where you're going but how to get there. Nehemiah has to ask this king at some point, can I go? But instead of sitting down and trying to think himself through the situation, he spends his entire time centering himself on the foundation of who God is, centering himself on the foundation of his promises and going back to where he was from, his origin, that he comes from God. Does that make sense? So that verse, O oh Lord, I beseech you, I'm fervently and urgently asking you to do something. We saw that in verse 5. We saw that in the beginning of this prayer. He brings all, that all, all the way around and ends with that as he began with it. May your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants. Again, asking for the Lord to listen to what he is saying. He did that at the beginning. He's doing that at the end. Your servants who delight to revere your name. That word revere, reverence, to fear your name. We talked about that. That as I give you these, these acronyms, A-C-T-S, that's not how you're really supposed to pray. Um, I'm never, let me say this. I'm never going to tell you how to pray. But what up, what's up underneath your prayer, if it's not the fear of God in adoration, if it's not the fear of God in how you confess, if it's not the fear of God in how you're thankful, and if it's not the fear of God, and how you make your requests known, then we've missed something. Those who delight to revere your name and make your servants successful today. So all of this, and then he makes his request known in the very last part of verse 11. Make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. He's simply asking for favor. But I want to make a, a distinction here. He's not asking for favor with the king, per se, as much as he's going through God and asking for favor from him, period. Now, if you would turn with me really quick to Matthew 28, verse 18, I'll, I'll explain to you why it's so important to go through the heavenly authority first and why he's not asking for favor with this man as much as he's asking for favor from Christ himself, excuse me, from God. Let's turn to Matthew 28, 18. Now again, this is in reference to Jesus. This is the covenant we operate under. And this is before he makes the statement of the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But he says this to the people, and we all have to understand this. He says this to his disciples. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority, 
has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he goes into the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So if we go back to this word origin, if you don't understand where you come from, then you don't understand that all authority <laughs> is under Christ anyway. Now, I'm, I'm not just talking about those, that authority that's been set up in the church. But what I am saying is that manager, that head coach, that um, CEO, all of it from top to bottom, the authority that you have in your job, it's on loan. My authority is on loan. The reason why Nehemiah was able to walk into that court, whatever it was, where he faced that king was because he understood where even the king's authority came from. Does that make sense when I say that? Now, for us, how do we, how do we make the connection? What in the New Testament would help us unwrap more of this? First of all, I mean, are you guys with me? Can I get some, you know, amen? Yeah? All right. Because if you're not, shake your head. We'll meet. Okay, we'll have some coffee or something. We'll talk about it. But let's turn to John 15, 7 and 8. Now, for whatever reason, the Lord is putting on my heart. I've used our discipleship verses the past three weeks. This is another verse that we use in our discipleship class. And it is, it's foundational simply because this is what the Lord is saying. These are the red letters. And if we're talking about origin, knowing where you come from and who you come from, Nehemiah had to ask the Lord for something. Now, I'm going to read through this real quick, then I'm going to go back and pick it apart real quick. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, after that comma, it says something really big. Ask whatever you wish. You kidding me? Ask whatever you wish. It doesn't say ask mm, kind of what you want, what you like, but don't ask for too much. You know, we don't want to bite off more than we can chew. Ask whatever you wish. And it, watch this, will be done for you. You won't have to go do it. It'll be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciple. Jumping into the New Testament to help this connect to where we are. Help this connect to where we're at in our walk with Christ. Get the, can we keep that up there, please? Now, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, that word abide means home, means abode, to make your home in me. Now, when I go to sleep, I return to one place. It's my home. Now, I don't sleepwalk, so <laughs> I wake up in the same place. All right? That's my home. That's my origin. That's where I start and that's where I end. That's where I keep all of my valuable things. It's a valuable place to me. So what the Lord is saying is if you return to me, if you make your home in me, if you start with where I am, make your origin the place where uh, something is derived, if you make that with me, and then he says, and my words make their home in you. 
if my words originate in you, what's in you is going to come out of you, all right? If you make your home in me and you make my words their home in you, you return to them, you start with them, you end with them, your entire day is wrapped up in them. Then you can ask whatever you wish. Now, see, I see this in Nehemiah that he spent from verse 5 all the way down to verse 11, making sure that he made his home in Christ. He made his home in God under that old covenant so that he could ask anything. And then he didn't, what, sideline the power of God. It says it'll, that he will do it for you. We've got to catch that part. A lot of times we ask God to do something, and then we're like, okay, so I'm going to set you over there, and I'm going to go over here and try and accomplish this thing. Why? Because the end result, I don't have a healthy understanding of where I've come from, so I've set up this goal saying I'm the one who has to accomplish this, and that's not it. He's saying I'm going to do it for you. Nehemiah approached the Lord's throne making his home there, approaching heavenly authority and saying, you know what, all of it belongs to you anyway, so I'm going to go to the source. And I'm going to ask you for favor when I step in front of this king. And that's it, just favor. What I love is that he doesn't say, make it turn out this way. He just says, I need favor. Whatever your will be done will be done. That's, a, that's another part of this thing that he's not asking for your expectation of the outcome. As much as he's just saying, make your home in me, I'll take care of it. Amen? And it glorifies the Father that you bear much fruit and so prove to be his follower. So, uh, this morning, ladies and gentlemen, we have, uh, we're going to Take up, our, take up our offering and take communion. So let's get prepared for that. But the biggest thing that I want to be able to communicate to you guys through Nehemiah's prayer from top to bottom as we close this up and kind of conclude his prayer is that we see in verses 10 and 11 the microcosm of origin and order, but origin before order. When you know where you come from, it gives you an idea where to go. But if where you're going doesn't scare the mess out of you, then that means <laughs> that you don't understand where you come from. Because where you're at, you've gotten to that place not on your own. You've only come to where you're at because the Lord has allowed you to step into it. So where you're going, it's the same thing. We see that not only in verse 10 and 11, but we see that through his entire prayer. If you don't know how to approach God, simply just take a step back and say, you know what, Lord? I beseech you. I fervently and urgently ask you to do something. Whatever it is within your character, do it. I'm not going to put any expectations on it at all. But what I do need is I need your divine approval. I need you to hear me and I need you to see me. And when you approve of this, there's a, there's a confidence that comes. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to have anything in me that stops the power of God from moving. So what am I going to do? I'm going to confess. 
And we understand that confess, homo lego, means saying the same thing about sin that God says, agreeing with him on it. But not only agreeing with the, the, the crappy part of it, but we have to agree with his redemptive nature. That's where the power comes. And within that, that should take us from true confession to true repentance. And true repentance is getting up and walking the other way from your sin, from that thing that is destroying your life. And once we do that, he brings true restoration. We see the blessing and the curse, but we want more of the blessing. And after all of that, then we say, Lord, have your way. <laughs> I just need favor. That's it. That's, that's what we see through that entire prayer. What I want to do, what I want to be is a praying church, not only individually but corporately. Uh, let's come up here, Taylor. This morning as we continue, maybe there's, there's something in you. You guys can go ahead and start playing. Uh, maybe there's something in you that, that is that needs to respond to this word this morning about origin and getting back to knowing where you've come from, resting there. What I love about communion is that it's a time to do just that. It's a time to center yourself back on the rock and foundation of who Christ is. So we're going to have a time to do that this morning. I'm going to pray for this offering. And then we'll step into some communion, a, t a time with each other to just be at the Lord's feet. Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that it's all yours anyway. All authority, everything that has ever been created is all yours. We see that through your scripture. And we want to be a people who exercises what's in your word. Heavenly Father, this morning as this, as this plate goes around, Lord, we just pray that you would bless whatever is put in there so that we can bless you with this offer. We can bless you uh, with these resources because it's all yours anyway. Lord, I pray that we give joyfully, that you would speak to us on what to give and that we would just release it with a joyful heart. So we love you and thank you and ask that you would bless this in Jesus' name. Go ahead and pass that.